Good morning, good morning, Rabotai. Breakfast in the class today is dedicated on behalf of uh, a happy birthday to Elisheva, whose generosity and constant support enriches the lives of all those who know her. Love Chaya, Shmuel, and Miriam, and thank you to my friend Naftali as well. And most of all, thank you, Haron Shochet, for putting this all together. Again, as well, breakfast in the class is dedicated on behalf of our dearest Elisheva. Thank you for brightening our lives with your optimism and Simchat Chaim. You inspire us silently with words unheard, yet weighted with emunah and bitachon. Happy birthday, may HaKadosh Baruch Hu grant you all your desires for good. Amen. Love your sisters and brothers. Also to Elisheva's dearest friend, Devorah Martin, for helping be part of sponsoring this class for Elisheva's birthday. Um, if anyone needs to know, uh, or needs to get in touch with Elisheva, any uh, eligible people out there, they see how special she is, um, we, can get, uh, we can get you the details. <laughs> Zaku Baruch, Elisheva, happy birthday. Um, uh, Elisheva is someone who spreads our words of Torah far and near and has gotten many, many people involved in the shiur. And uh, because today is her birthday, uh, her friends are coming together to Ya'ad Me'ave Esrim with everything HaKadosh Baruch Hu could possibly bless you with. Yimaleh, Adonai, Kol Meshalot, Ebech, Letovah. Okay, Rabbutai, we stand almost a couple of days before the holiday of Pesach. And uh, there's many different parts of the Haggadah that get a lot of press. Uh, but there's some parts maybe perhaps that are a little bit uh, uh, more challenging. And maybe you could run past it without ever noticing it. And I want to share with you one of my favorites, one of my favorite parts of the Haggadah. And sometimes all it takes is a little bit of a, an insight into something to realize that maybe I didn't realize how important this part is. So what's the most important part of the Seder night? You know, it says clearly in the Haggadah, Anyone that does not say Pesach, Matzah, Maror, right? You don't fulfill your obligation. So, you know, get everyone involved. Pesach, you don't point by that one. Pesach Zeh, Al Shuma, and then it says that. Then Matzah Zu, everyone's pointing at the Matzah. Maror Zeh, everyone's pointing at the Maror, okay? And each time we quote the Pasuk that mentions those three items, um, and those are the highlights of the Seder. Those are the, uh, the most important parts of the Seder. <coughs> but then it makes you wonder, like, why exactly did we have this entire narrative of the Haggadah written around it? If you want to tell me, insert Egypt's story here. Fine. So I'll tell the story about how we got to Egypt, how we left Egypt. But it seems like the Baal Haggadah, and in fact, this is coming from already the Gemara in Pesachim, where the Gemara has a specific formula for how it wants to communicate to you what the story of leaving Egypt was. And in fact, we start all the way in the beginning. Arami Oved Avi. What is that? What does that mean? What's this part? What does that mean? Right? Mitehila Ovde Avodazara Hayu Avotenu. From in the beginning, right? Our forefathers worshipped Avodazara. And after that, God brought us close, and then it tells us the story. So the Gemara says we, we need to start with this negative, and end with shvach, with praise, with something which is more positive. So our rabbis tell us there's a formula for how you give over the story of leaving Egypt, which makes you realize that every part of that Haggadah was specifically written for a reason. And one of the things that I find is very helpful in mining for the Haggadah's many treasures is asking myself, what in the world? Why does this, what is this part? This has to be in my Haggadah. Like you need to tell me, Yachom Rosh Chodesh, it should have been from Rosh Chodesh. You need to tell me that. That's the backdoor stuff. 
that's uh, telling you, you know, specific laws and rules about about the why is it that we're communicating each piece. So I wanted to share with you one part of the Haggadah that I thought was very beautiful. We say in the Haggadah, Baruch Shomer Havtachato, blessed is he who keeps his promise to the Jewish people. Baruch Shomer Havtachato. Now let me ask you a question. Um, imagine for a minute, uh, you call me up and you say, Rabbi, I have this guy at my door. He's claiming to be a rabbi. He's claiming to be a worthy recipient of tzedakah. Like, you know, what can you tell me? I want, what can you tell me about it? Imagine I tell you, you know, the guy, he knows all of the shas, all of the gemarot. He knows poskim. He knows all the people that are ruled. This guy's unbelievable. Or if I tell you, you know what? He, maybe he's not the biggest talmichacham, but the guy has a heart of gold. He supports, uh, you know, uh, all the uh, the alnanot, uh, all the widows, and takes care of the orphans, and he runs the school in the community. That's something impressive, right? Now, imagine we're describing not a guy who deserves your tzedakah, but someone who deserves your admiration. Imagine I was describing one of the most special people you could imagine. Probably I would give you something a little bit more heavy, a little bit more impressive. Could you imagine uh, if after if, if calling me, um, the the uh, the app, uh, uh, approbation I gave, the compliment I gave to the person you were asking me about is the guy doesn't break his word. So you're telling me, okay, so basically you're telling me he's not a crook. That's what you're saying. Could you imagine saying to God, Baruch Shomer Haftachato, Ahzaku Baruch Hashem, you said you were going to do something and you did it. Well done. We expect that from any person. If a person promises something and doesn't deliver, what do you think of him? He's not a non-tzaddik. He's a rasha. He's somebody who doesn't keep his word. Right? We expect people to keep their word, to keep their promises. When they don't keep their promises, we call them, or we feel that they were dishonest. So we're saying about God, Baruch Shomer Avtachato, Hazaku Baruch Hashem, that you kept your word. That's a little underwhelming when you're trying to describe, or you're trying to say, blessed are you to Hashem. Baruch Shomer Avtachato. Our rabbis explained something very, very powerful. And I, I, wanna, I want this to penetrate, okay? I want you guys to think about this idea. Shomer Avtachato could mean that God keeps His promise, or it could mean that God guards His promise. At the front door of our, of our synagogue, at the front door of the malls in Israel, you have what's called a shomer, someone who is uh, protecting. God didn't keep His promise. He protected His promise. So let's look for one second. Borei Olam says, at the end of 400 years, that's what He promised Abraham. He says, this nation, you should know your children will sojourn in a land that does not belong to them. Arba'am ba'ochana, 400 years. And after that, right? Uh, I, you know, they're going to go out of this country. And I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, what's it called? I'm going to punish the people that tried to keep them there. Right? And, and actually, if you count the years, you'll notice that it's not 400 years. It's not. Right? How much, how long were they in Egypt for? 210. 210. It was, uh, yeah, when you go into a store... Right? And they're selling Egyptian slavery. And there's a big sign that says, 50 off. You know? It's a, it, was a, yeah, it was the uh, Black Friday, Yanni. Okay? Hashem says, all right, 400 years, 
Alright, okay, two ten. Not chalas, so you know. Apples be shekel. Chatsi shekel. Pseder, pseder. Chatsi shekel, yeah, baba. Right? That's what's happening over here. Borei Olam gave us a discount? No. Our rabbis explained that HaKadosh Baruch Hu chishev et haketz. God, he counted, he estimated, he rounded up, he chishev, he included et haketz. Our rabbis explained that the word ketz, kuf is a hundred, and sadi is... 90. What is the ketz? He counted the 190. 210 and 190 is 400. God took the extra 190, 190 years that the Jewish people still had left and somehow he did what we call today creative accounting. He said the Jews worked very hard. But they say, what do you mean? But you said they were going to work very hard. Yeah, but I didn't say they were going to work this hard. Borei Olam counted the fact that they worked for very long he counted the fact that they had many, many children. And he said, look, even though I said 400 years, that's a normal-sized nation. They had loads and loads of kids, these guys. Every one of them had a big, a big family. And not only that, you worked them very hard. That's got to count for something. Borei Olam took off literally almost half of the time. And why did God do that? Our rabbis tell us that when the Jewish people were in Misraim, they fell level by level, level by level, until eventually they reached what was considered to be the 49th level of Tum'ah. There are only 50 levels, Rabotai. I remember the first time hearing this, that my rabbi was like, they were on the 49th level of Tum'ah. I was like, okay, that doesn't sound so bad. How many levels are there? <laughs> he goes, 50. I was like, oh, <laughs> That's really bad, right? 49 levels of Tum'ah. That means that if there was one more level that the Jewish people had sunk to, they never would have left. Now, does that bother you? What do you mean they never would have left? Let's say they, by mistake, Hashem, Hashem, Hashem was looking the other way, he was busy with something else, and what? If they fell to 50, what would have happened? They wouldn't have come out. What do you mean? You said you're going to redeem the kids. What does that mean? Even if they fell to the 50th level of Tumah, doesn't God still need to redeem them? promised the answer is yes God still has a promise to redeem the Jews but after they hit 50th level of Tum'ah they would no longer have been considered Jews they would have lost every possible shred of identifying feature of connective tissue let's call it to that which once was and perhaps what we see by the Egel where God says, step aside, Moshe. Destroying the Jewish people. Doesn't work that way. What do you mean destroying the Jewish people? I don't understand. How do you expect to destroy the Jewish people? You promise you're going to bring them to the land of Israel. Right? What does God say? God says, I, I'm going to destroy the Jewish people, but Moshe Rabbeinu, I'm going to build up the Jewish people through you. So if Moshe Rabbeinu has, has kids, it grows into a nation, then those are still considered to be, so to speak, the Jewish people. You understand? So there's a tribe of Levi who's sitting in Egypt who's not enslaved, who's not falling level by level, who's sitting and studying Torah, as our Gemara says. In fact, there's a fascinating Midrash, and we've quoted many times. It says, and the Egyptians served them, Abodah Kasha, says the Midrash, Kasha zu Kusha, Bahomer zu Kalvachomer. Kusha is a question in, in the Torah learning. What's chomer? We translate it as bricks and mortar, right? Chomer is the learning of kalva chomer. 
where you learn something which is lenient um, to something which is more strict. So if the lenient thing has this law, right, then the, like as an example, let's say there's a chamur type of tzedakah, a strict kind of tzedakah that's obligatory by the Torah standards. And that, that chamur, you know, understanding, I don't know if you could count it, that uh, tzedakah amount, you know, net or gross. Now I go and find in the Gemara that there's a much lighter form of tzedakah, much lower obligation of tzedakah, that's a kal. If I have a Gemara or a Mishnah or a Brighter that tells me that the lower form of tzedakah, you have to count, uh, not, uh, not net, but gross, which is more money, then I know for sure, kal v'chomer. If you have to count it that way for the lower form, you for sure have to count it that way for the higher form. Many examples of this in the Gemara. So says the Midrash, what is chomer? Chomer is kal v'chomer. What is levenim? Levenim means bricks. Levenim is libun halakha. Then it talks about building. What is binyan av? All different methodologies about how one learns. And everybody asks, what are we talking about over here? The Jewish peoples in slavery was that they were in yeshiva? And the answer is, no, there were two forms of slavery. There was a slavery and a torture that was happening to the Jewish people as a whole. And there was another form of torture where the Leviim was sitting and studying Kalvachomer, Binyan Av, Hekesh. They were sitting and learning as if they were in Israel on their, you know, on their gap year yeshiva program, right? Why is that considered torture? Our rabbis explain, because we see what happened when there was one Levi who was exposed to the Jewish people's suffering. Moshe Rabbeinu looked at what was going on. He couldn't bear it. He got involved. He killed the Egyptian who was trying to kill the Jewish person. You see how, how invested they were for the Leviim to be sitting and studying when their brothers were being tortured, were being enslaved. And the fact that they could do nothing about it, all they could do was sit there and learn. They felt so helpless. Even their ruchaniyut, right, felt to them like they were being enslaved and suffered and tortured and beaten. So the, the Leviim that were not sinking down to those levels of Tum'ah, those would have been the Jewish people that would have left Egypt. So God says, Chishev etaketz. Hold on a second. He pulls in the accounting firm of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Inc. And he says to them, guys, I need you to figure these numbers. All these, all the, you know, numbers got to be fungible. Come on. We're, you know, how are we looking at this? And HaKadosh Baruch Hu came up with another way of looking at the enslavement, another way of calculating the 400 years. Rabbi that's what it means. Baruch Shomer Haftachato. God says, I promised. I'm still within the bounds of my promise if I only take out Shevet Levi. I've still done it. Took out, you know, they enslaved them and I took out the ones that remain Jews. What do you want from my life? Everybody else, I don't know, they intermarried, they did this, they became, they stopped being Jews. You know, what do you want from my life? I said that I'll redeem the Jews. These are the ones that are still the Jews. But Borei Olam is Baruch Shomer Haftachato. And I think it's so important because what, does, what do we read? What's the connection of Shomer Haftachato? It's connected to the Keneged Arba Banim Dibrat Torah. The Torah says that there's four kinds of children. The Chacham, of course, yeah, fantastic, let's redeem him. Right? The, 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 Tam, the Eno Yodei Alishol, Hazit, they're either too simple, or they don't yet know how to ask, what do you want from their lives? What about the Rasha? Am I going to redeem the Rasha? Now the Haggadah says that you tell the Rasha, Ilu Hayah Sham, if he was there, Lo Hayah 
Nigali would not have been redeemed. But the truth is that Borei Olam actually did redeem Rishayim. He did. Imagine, if you will, Rambam's definition of tzaddik versus rasha. Right? How does he define a tzaddik? A person who has equal amounts, mitzvot averot. That's how he says a tzaddik. One more. You're in the positive side, tzaddik. But what do we know about the Jewish people? And they left Egypt. It says in the Haggadah, va'at erom ve'erya, you were naked, you were exposed, you had no mitzvot, arom, naked from mitzvot. To the point that God needed to give them the mitzvah of Korban Pesach in order that they should have something. Like Hashem's like, yeah, quick, do this. It's like the lawyer in court telling the guy, read this, you know, say this. Stand up, right, stand up sit down, right? Olam, they were arom ve'erya. They had nothing. So much so that we need to come on to the fact that you know why they were redeemed? Because they didn't change their clothes. They still had Jewish names. Right? That's what you got. You had Jewish names. You know when they say something is uh, is luxury in name only? I still remember when I was driving in Israel and this guy had on his car, you know the like the thing that they have, uh, you know, like the lion at the bottom of the car, out of, out of silver, like, you know, along the bottom, along the bottom of the doors, you know, the Mercedes. And only in Israel you could have this. Silver lion at the bottom of the car and then it ends in like a script letters. You know what it said at the end of that silver line? It said, high class. Because <laughs> there's nothing that says high class more than a sign that says high class. Rohi, if you need to tell it to me, that's <laughs> not it, right? They were Jews. What do we say? They had Jewish names. Perhaps they were Jews in, Jewish in name only. In clothing only. They looked like they Jews. And that was... So these are not tzaddikim. God is taking even these people out. That's Baruch Shunei Haftarato. Sometimes when a person is heading in a direction where everything is going to fall away from them, Borei Olam institutes something. He sends them something to make sure that he can keep his haftachah to them. You know, you and I, even if we're not such great people, we all come from very great people. You know that, Right? You know, you have a grandfather, Joe, I'm sure, or a great-grandfather, or a father. I'm not uh, trying to diss anyone's parents. or Someone in that line was a big Sadiq, right? Sometimes we know who it is. Sometimes we don't know. we got to go back a few more generations, right? But everybody here has what's called Zichut Avot. Borei Olam looks at this person, this Sadiq in Gan Eden, in the eye, and says, I'm not just going to let your son walk away. I'm not just going to let your daughter marry that guy and chalas and write off the kids come let's let's throw some obstructions in the way let's give him a sign let's show him something that he needs to see you know I still remember a story that really shook me to my core about a young Jewish man who came to a very big rabbi and he said what is all this stuff this Jewish stuff they're asking me to do this they're asking me to do that you know, Dachila, come on, it's too much, I can't deal. And the rabbi looked at him and he said, Listen, I want you to promise me you'll do one one mitzvah. One mitzvah you do for the rest of your life. What's the one mitzvah? He says that you're gonna put your shoes on in the morning, the halacha. It's not hard. It's easy mitzvah. No one's gonna see. 
put your right shoe on first, then you put your left shoe on, then you tie your left shoe, you tie your right shoe. But the, does it matter? It's the same investment of effort to, to do right, right, left, left, right, as it is to do left, left, right, right. You know, there's a heck like this. What's the big deal? What was the rabbi thinking? I'm sure the rabbi was thinking, you know, he'll tie his shoes like this in the morning, maybe he'll get his day off to the right start. There was an admiral, you can see a beautiful speech from an admiral in the Navy that says that the only thing you need in order to live a good life is to make your bed in the morning. You know why? Because you started your day off with seder, correctly. Things are, I'm responsible for my bed. This is my bed that I sleep in. I'm going to make the bed, okay? Rabotai, we have this idea in the Sefer Musar long before we saw it on YouTube. The rabbis used to say, if you want to go check out your son and see how he's doing, you don't even have to go to the Bet Midrash and see how he's studying. Go to his dorm room. Look at his closet. The guy who has a house that's flying, the guy's head is flying. If he's a misudar in his life, in his interactions with people, then you know that his head, his heart, his soul are misudar in order. Anyway, so the guy is sitting there. The rabbi probably thought, every day he starts off the right... On the right foot, Yani. <laughs> yani, and literally, he starts off on the right foot with the right foot. Then he goes to the left foot, left foot, left foot, right foot. Maybe that will start. Anyway, the guy every day says, You know what? I promise this old rabbi, long beard, piercing eyes, I'm going to do it. He's probably worried, otherwise, some juju is going to get him. Okay? Every day, until one day, it's one morning, but it's a very important morning. It's the morning that he's getting dressed to go to his wedding to a lovely young woman whose name is, I don't know, Mary or Catherine or whatever, some other Jewish name that, uh, that we've only recently started naming. <laughs> okay, Svetlana, I don't know what it is, whatever it is. Okay, a name that maybe is not as common to our circles. Didn't matter, Judaism didn't mean anything to him. His family protested, but there was nothing they could say. And he sits down in the morning, and he takes out his brand new wedding shoes, right foot, left foot, like he's done a thousand times since that day. And then it struck him like a ton of bricks. Even if this is all that I have, I still have a connection to being part of the Jewish people. I'm doing this because the halakha tells me to do this. How could I have this tiny connection even something so small, if I have something, I'm going to throw now even that away, and my children from this woman are not even going to have tying their shoes? You think he thought back in a flash to his father, his grandfather. He thought back to all the lessons of Jewish history. And the last thing that he had left, what was it? it was a, 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 a shoelace. You know, when the king of Sedom he, uh, he goes to war. He says, Mechut Right? Abraham says to the king of Sodom, the king of Sodom says, take everything. Just give me my people back. And Abraham's like, I don't want your people. I came to get Lot. I came to save him. I don't want a string until a shoelace, Abraham says. I don't want anything from you. Yani, I want my own shoelace. There are Jewish shoelaces, Rabotai. And that tiny mitzvah was enough for him to crawl back. Now let me ask you, Rabotai. This always got me. What if the misvah that the rabbi would have told him, 
was not a mitzvah in the morning. It was a mitzvah in the evening. And uh, after the wedding, he's like, oh, he takes off his shoes the right way. <laughs> it's too late. Right? It's the morning getting dressed in the wedding clothes that made the impact. Who made the rabbi think that specific mitzvah to give him? Olam. That's Baruch Shomer Avtachato. And I imagine after this boy called off the wedding, took those shoes and ran away, and uh, you know rejoined his people and married someone actually that he, he could connect to and build a Jewish family with. I imagine up in Shammai, Borei Olam tapping his grandpa on the shoulder with his red eyes crying because today was the wedding day. And Hashem saying, do I keep my promise or do I keep my promise? Baruch Shomer Avtachato. HaKadosh Baruch Hu intervenes with surgical precision to ensure that the things that He promised us uh, that are, they are given their very best chance for achievement and survival. Look for HaKadosh Baruch Hu's, uh, motions. Look for His fingerprint and you will most definitely see it. Baruch Adonai Leodam. Amen ve